welcome to the Big Kids Book Club. A podcast about all things fictional, from middle grade to young adult. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hey, 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 welcome back to another episode of the Big Kids Book Club. My name is Marcus and I'm your host. And joining me on the show today, we have author of the brand new Caravan at the Edge of Doom, Jim Beckett. Welcome to the show. Hello, Marcus. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us here. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's not quite the Edinburgh Fringe, but uh, it's definitely something interesting. And we want to get to know you a little bit better, like we get to know all of our authors. So do you want to give us a quick sort of rundown on how you became an author, a little snippet about your journey and how you got to where you are now? Sure. Thanks, Marcus. Well, um, it's a long journey, really, to be honest. I, I don't think there's a very short version of this um, I could work out at all. Um, so the, the old cliche of like, uh, you know, uh, as soon as I was reading and writing, I like to write down my stories and um, enjoy writing stories at school. And um, I remember one time uh, being off sick to finish writing a long story. And then the next day I brought it into the teacher. He's like, wow, this is so long. I hope you weren't off sick to write that. And I was. And I thought, oh, this is brilliant. And I haven't been since, since I've been a teacher. I've never done that uh, yet. So, um but yeah, and so when I was a younger, sort of teenager, making films with friends, um, so always writing stuff. Then a, a bigger teenager, um, we were in a band, so trying to, you know, trying to be uh, kind of rock and roll stars. That was a thing for a couple of years. Um, and through always through that process, like doing things like school productions um, and uh, writing funny stuff there or doing the performance side of things, um, like at A-level, uh, got to write a, a, a funny little play, which was really great. And, you know, you start to get, more of an audience, a bigger audience for, for seeing things you've written. Um, so then um, one of the things, our, our teacher, we had a great teacher at secondary school, drama teacher, and he took us to the Edinburgh Fringe uh, as teenagers, uh, which he regretted for various reasons afterwards. But that's a very different story. Um, but we had an amazing experience. It meant we got to see what the Fringe was and how it worked uh, really early on. So then that inspired us. Um, to have a go at going back there kind of soon afterwards. So when I was at uh, university and sort of just after, I wrote a play for me and my friend Bob, who later became Bob from Bob and Jim, although in many ways he already was. Um, and we took a play that I'd written to Edinburgh, yeah, when we were about 20, 21. And, and that was great. And we did it all kind of DIY solo, just like us two and two other mates. Um, and that was great. And then we we sort of went back and did variations of that again. Um, I put a play on at the local theatre, which another old drama teacher ended up becoming the artistic director of, so it's always handy, bit of a bit of cronyism going on. And um, so, yeah, so it's like writing funny plays and stuff. So always at that time, I was writing uh, mostly things for performance because I had this sense of I wanted to reach some kind of audience. I think I was too impatient for the idea of something like a book um, where you'd have to wait to see if it actually got picked up and you knew it wouldn't be read for probably years, um, if at all. And yeah, as a young person, I didn't have the patience for that idea. So I mostly wrote stuff for performance. Um, and so, yeah, then having, you know, outgrown the little parochial uh, home where we were growing up, I moved to London where I'd heard the cities were paved with gold. And, um, and that, was, that didn't work out so well because it turned out they weren't paved with gold. Um, yeah, I know. Um, 
so that it turned out it's actually very expensive to live in London. So that was a bit of a distraction. Um, that put the kibosh on the writing for a bit there. Uh, I had to scrabble around trying to earn enough money not to get thrown out the flat sort of thing. Um, but then soon after that, Bob and Jim was born properly as a doublet. We'd done our, uh, our plays previously. And, you know, some a few people said, oh, you should be a double act. And so we did. We gave it a go. And um, and that was great. And, and that this is nearly 20 years ago, the first iteration of Bob and Jim. 2001, we did it for a couple of years. Um, and so, yeah, we did it for a couple of years. And it's uh, a mixed bag of kind of a bit, bit hit and miss, but lots, uh, quite a lot of hits, a few misses. And um, it gradually petered out, eventually petered out. And basically then I had to become a teacher because uh, my dad was like, you have to get a proper job now. And even though I was a proper grown up, um, I had to concede to that. So I went off to be a teacher, Bob went off to train to be an actor. And um, so then, yeah, I was sort of focused, bit head down on the teaching things, because it's a very intense experience. Um, but gradually after settling into that more, we did um, do a few like side things, wrote like a few bits and bobs, um, musical stuff and, and, and comedy stuff and then eventually Bob and Jim was reborn um, uh, in a much bigger way and more kind of focused way and that coincided to one of the big things was like social media and the internet you know things like this that we're doing now suddenly existed where they hadn't done the first time round and we were able to network make connections with other acts um, and promoters and so on and so you can work out how to do it and we did uh, a few uh, Ed, big Edinburgh shows. We did loads of hundreds of gigs around London, around, and we at one point we had like three London residencies, monthly residencies that we were running, um, and yeah, it went it went quite well. You know, the ups and downs. We had sort of TV meetings, which were always very frustrating because they nearly got somewhere and didn't quite. And then radio, and we nearly we we wrote a radio sitcom. Uh, we did a bit of radio on Radio Four, and then. Uh, nearly got a sitcom commission so so again after a quite a few years Bob and Jim sort of petered out again because of the uh, despair of never quite hitting the big time and then by that time I had children and they were they're not very uh, I mean it's a bit antisocial going to gigs in the evening all the time uh, it's a bit inconvenient doesn't really work out so my partner said why don't you write a children's book so I said all right then um, and I read some of the, of the funny stuff. So obviously I've read, you know, lots of children's fiction as a teacher, yeah. uh, secondary school teacher, this is though. So mostly not the kind of target audience that Caravan at the Edge of Doom uh, is for, um, but slightly older. So I had year sevens and eights, but not mm. below. Um, but I hadn't really read the funny stuff. You know, at school, you, you tend to, certainly in secondary school, we don't tend to get to read much funny stuff. Um, so I read some of the funny middle grade that had been, that had come out more recently. I was really impressed and excited by it and, and really inspired, particularly by the sort of, the liberating mayhem and anarchy of, of some of those series. And I really like that. I thought this would be great fun. It's a really good idea. Um, so yes, yeah, so I wrote a book and sent it off and um, and, it, and it did get picked up by agents. Um, so that was a really, that was a really nice moment of uh, a sort of after nearly 20 years of disappointment. I think like, oh, this one actually worked out. And I think one of the big things, again, the internet, the fact I could just go onto blogs and read about other people's experience and read advice and guidance from agents and editors and so on about what to do, how you write your covering letter and all of those kinds of things, how you uh, research agents and pitch and target it. All of that just meant it was a very focused kind of practical approach to the thing, which we'd never had during all the comedy time. We'd been bum bumbling around and never really known what we're doing and tried hundreds of different things, a great kind of 
expense of time and, and, and great inconvenience. Um, but now there was a clear path. So I took that, got the agent. That first book then, however, on submission, didn't get picked up by the publishers. So another disappointment. So it's all right. There's still lots of rejection and disappointment in the story. Um, <laughs> you know, this is five years ago I got the agent. So don't worry, this is, this, yeah, this is not an overnight success um, story. Um, so then that took a while, but then, yeah, like nearly two years ago, now we did get the book deal with the caravan at the edge of doom. Um, hooray. And yeah, since then, uh, I don't know, been kind of tweaking it and getting excited about the illustrations and things like that. And well, and well, let's move on now <laughs> well no it's, it's so interesting to because we were talking prior to the the sort of the recording we were talking about how everyone's got a slightly different journey and obviously uh, there has to be that sort of I guess the prologue of your sort of journey there with you know um Jim and Bob and you sort of like the idea of you working very much on the sort of stage and that sort of side of stuff because it all sort of culminates in what goes into this book and obviously once you found the gps it was a little bit easier to get from a to b but interestingly that you had that first book obviously a lot of people say that they their first book isn't the one they get picked up on it's normally one or two down the line so where did the idea because <laughs> i mean just just the title alone the caravan at the edge of doom it just instantly has you going a what? <laughs> so where does where did the the idea for the caravan and Harley's sort of like story like where did that pop from? If it wasn't that first story, yeah. So um, th this is this is like inevitably a question that is um, asked a lot now and is going to continue to be asked uh, yep. with good reason and that I would ask it, me. And um, it's really tricky because I don't really know the answer. So I've spent some time trying to work out the answer to this one because all the other books I've written. Um, so there was the first book and, and after Caravan at the Edge of Doom was written um, and, and redrafted a couple of times and it sort of went out of submission, I then wrote another book. So, so there mm -hmm. are three whole complete books and both of those other two books, I could easily answer the question where the idea come from. With Caravan at the Edge of Doom, um, at that stage I was scrabbling around for different ideas. I'd written uh, loads and loads of different ideas and kind of synopses and outlines and character profiles for different things. And in the end, I had to whittle them down. I spoke to my agent about what should we, which of these should I do next? I gave her sort of five ideas and we met up and she was brilliant, really focused, incisive, just that one or that one, she said. And the, and the, and the first that one, I was like, I tried a few times and well, that was a bit hard. So I'll go with that, that one, which was the caravan at the edge of doom. And that's what it was called. And the premise was there. Um, and she was brilliant. She, she, in terms of helping with the idea, Harley needs a, a sidekick. She needs a companion. To sort of share the journey with and that's how ollie was born ah. um who was originally a sort of dickensian urchin um and arguably oh. still still is a bit just from oi, oi, oi. yeah um so um but it's the essence of the idea all, all i can remember is that i sat down with my notebook um i could picture a caravan a lonely caravan at night on a moor um and there were grandparents exploding through to the afterlife in the caravan toilet and this was what the protagonist was was witnessing and experiencing um yeah so i don't know <laughs> I, I can't explain the gap between that being there on the bit of paper and it wasn't even as if when i had that down on the paper i thought oh yeah that's the kind of thing i did think that's the kind of thing for a funny middle grade i didn't think oh yeah this is a winner can't go wrong here like i say that went down with with four other ideas Mm. And I said, which one, I don't know, which one should I go with? Um, 
this was definitely the right one if you ask me having uh, I, I was very lucky to get a, a cheekily advanced copy to sink my teeth into and obviously you, you do the, the best thing is we get straight into the action from page one and we sort of get the idea of these grandparents exploding they're gone page one they've just exploded in this uh, caravan toilet into the afterlife and harley is already on the back foot trying to recover from it um but harley is herself you get teased a little bit that she's not just your cookie cutter protagonist because she is also this young girl who is almost, she's got quite a mature role. You know, she's looking after her. I mean, he's only about 18 months, Malcolm, isn't he? Her little brother, Mm. he's very young. And obviously then she gets handed this responsibility of becoming the gatekeeper, like within the first chapter. And so interestingly, she has so much responsibility shouldered on her. I wonder if Harley's character was there from the beginning or whether because of the way the, the story matures, you realized you needed to have this very headstrong, mature protagonist to also sort of power through it. Yeah, no, Harley definitely grew. So she wasn't there on that initial scribbling. You know, the premise was a kind of funny, absurd, exciting, strange, perilous uh, sort of premise. But the protagonist, uh, the, you know, what that character who, who had to go on this journey was going to be like wasn't uh, set from the beginning and definitely Harley grew and evolved and matured with every draft and because it's a you know the first published book it's been through lots of drafts because my agent you know uh, edited and gave notes before we put it on submission to the publishers and then obviously there's the editorial process there that it goes through and because that was a long one uh, because of also getting the illustrator and so on so that was you know went over quite a long period so it went through a you know, lots of drafts. As I say, the, the essence of the story didn't really change much from the, from that first one, which is a few years ago now. Um, but Harley definitely did evolve and grow each time slightly. And yeah, I and so and I've got to know her more and like her more, to be honest, as that's gone through. Um, so yeah, I do. I think she, um, as you say, there is there is a real maturity about her, but she doesn't. There's lots she doesn't know and 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 doesn't quite get, um, even though she's really bright and switched on and kind of uh, in, insightful and kind of emotionally mature about other people and what they're doing. She's it's, it's herself that she's learning about primarily. She does she doesn't know herself and her relationship in the world, and she's had these intense experiences prior to the exploding grandparents. This is why she. I really like the idea of you know a character who could kind of handle all that stuff. Um, and there's a kind of irony in that the stuff she can't handle is is maybe the stuff that we might expect to be easier to handle, but which isn't, you know, relationships really, I suppose, and, and friendship specifically. Um, it's what she's having to learn more about, but um, but she can take the kind of the danger and the hazards in a stride. Like I say, she's given that those responsibilities and that's been obviously presumed of her. And that probably did come from my experience, you know, working with lots of different kids and this reality that loads of young people, very young, uh, do have an enormous amount of responsibility quite often. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that that wasn't a deliberate thought, but I think subconsciously that may, must have come through in that way. Well, it's, it's lovely that it has sort of naturally sort of grown from that. And you mentioned those, the, the sort of perils and the sort of the environment she had to encounter. Uh, as you mentioned all the different editing steps and the sort of tweaks that were made along the way, I wonder how much of Beyond changed. Now, Beyond, for anyone who's listening, is basically 
the world beyond it is the sort of the afterlife and then the back of beyond like how much did the strange weird wonderful world of beyond change from that first initial setup to all those editorial tweaks to the one we're going to see in the print on our shelves and on our you know on our reading tables later yeah i don't know that it did change much again i think i'd i think i'd traced out that these different sort of stages and phases so you kind of have the the front of beyond that's not necessarily referred to in that way and then you have the back of beyond and then beyond the back of beyond so they were kind of three separate stages in a journey it was very much built around a journey um mm. you know kind of a classic quest narrative you have to get from this point to this point to this point there are puzzles and mysteries and confusions along the way um what did change a lot was that I kept adding more puzzles and mysteries and confusions until eventually I was confused. <laughs> um, and that's where it took a lot of un untangling. It did get mm. um, at various stages, even you know before the commission and then again um, afterwards where, yeah, we'd sort of add in more, oh, wouldn't it be good if this happened or this character goes off here. And as you flesh out characters, they do things um, that initially they weren't necessarily going to do. They were, you know, more functionary and, and then suddenly they're doing things. And so you end up with too much. Yeah. Um, and actually the setting was helpful in, in keeping it more straightforward and simple because it is kind of like you go to this bit and then you go to this bit and then you get, and it's, it's, they, she goes in order, uh, you know, she didn't go back and forth, just goes on through. But the, um, but what happens there and the kind of repercussions of what one person tells or another uh, yes, that did take some uh, untangling, as I say. But you you have actually mentioned there a very interesting narrative frame there, which is the hero's journey. And actually, when you strip off a lot of the the humour and the sort of like the weirdness of the world, you do get that sort of very simple um, sort of plot narrative where you have the hero's journey. Like I said, she's on this road, this path of heroes, to basically accomplish. And obviously, you have the twelve tasks. It has a very Herculean aspect mm -hmm. to it which i guess really gives it a really nice sort of like re relatable feel like it's it doesn't feel too weird and too obscure you can always go back to the fact that harley is on a hero's journey she is trying to mm. overcome this to you know save her brother get to the fire exit and get back home before <laughs> before eternal damnation um was the the idea of these 12 tasks at any point the the sort of possible tie into mythology was that ever something that you, you sort of played with or was it very much just it was a nice constructive narrative focus of which to give harley this this grand epic story yeah i think i really like like you say that that kind of structure and um, from you know from the various myths and so on so i think i probably was uh playing around with the idea of doing a story following that kind of structure before the caravan at the edge of doom premise and then maybe stuck them together um and i guess it's an idea it's a sort of almost a sort of pastiche of, of that experience in some ways you know her her heroic possessions that she has are, are you know, <laughs> obviously very ordinary and not particularly helpful and and all this kind of idea you know and she's stuck with a, a trolley rather than a run a dragon to ride etc and so on she's, she's kind of disadvantaged at every turn and even the journey itself and the world and the monsters she encounters are not what we might expect. Um, and so it's just constantly kind of subverting everything there, apart from, like you say, that fundamental sense of it is genuinely perilous and requires sort of genuine courage. And, and so we, you know, so we are rooting for her and, 
and you know little Malcolm there is is a, a perfect kind of um foil for her you know and, and uh, easy to sympathize with with him and his needs and because again because he's yeah this little 16 month old he he he's upbeat he's he's oblivious to the to the dangers and that adds a nice uh, you know further element of this sense of the responsibility that weighs on 12 year old harley who can't be blissfully oblivious in the way that he is and, and in the way that sometimes the grandparents seem to be as well you know they kind of got the luxury of sort of seen it all done it all before we're not bothered by any of it plus we don't actually have to deal with <laughs> deal with it um yeah but it was quite interesting i loved it as well you're talking about subverting taking that sort of that hero's journey some of the way you handle the tasks i thought was genius because you think of obviously you on this oh, perilous journey and then you take the tasks of change a light bulb or having to oil the squeaky door uh, arrange or straighten the the picture frames for example there are some really beautifully comedic elements to this as well as some really actually quite interesting riddles you've placed in as well how much fun did you have sort of like coming up with the 12 tasks and sort of blending them into the story in this in this humorous way it, yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun. And in, in a way that, again, as I say, in terms of the structure and getting tangled up, there was sort of a sense of we wanted to get to those tasks sooner. And I found myself in a position from, again, from early drafts, uh, which kind of remained the case for a long time of, of not being able to get there soon enough mm. um, because I had all these other things, all these kind of set up and these premises beforehand. I think in the end, it's it's worked out fine, but that it didn't come as easy as, as I might have expected because once you're there on the pathway and you're going from task one on onwards, then it is structurally easier to handle mm. and you can just play with, as you say, ideas um, of what happens uh, when and where. But then at the same time, you've got the issue of you don't really want to go through 12 of them because that would be very repetitive and so on. So, you know, you kind of need some uh, to throw in some googlies and some unexpected uh, further obstacles that get in the way of doing those. Uh, but yeah, no, no more spoilers on that. But um, yeah, it was it was fun making a task. And as I say, I imagined, I think, when I set myself this kind of structural pattern that you know this is one of the simplest kinds of narrative structures so this it should give me the freedom to just play with funny ideas and stuff as I say when I came to actually making it uh, it didn't pan out like that at all because it turned out it took ages for her to uh, to get to them because of all the other crazy backstory exploding grandparents and so on well, they have all culminated in such a very rich and just funny, engaging story. It's got such, it's got such sort of like a, a pull to it because obviously the premise sort of catches your eye, the title sort of sucks you in, the beautiful illustrations by Olia Musa, and you're like, okay, I'm all aboard of this. And then uh, Harley ropes you in because of her character and her nature, and she's on on this very noble quest and more fun stuff happens you have to go and check it out it is out now from far shore so do please go and check this out it is amazing uh jim i loved every second reading this book it was very fantastic and i was even more happy to find out when i got to the end of the book a quick tease that we might be seeing more of harley in the future do you want to just take us on to a little bit of your plans next yeah, thank you. Well, oh, thanks very much for that, for that Marcus. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Um, there is a book too, and it's basically written. Um, yes, so I think it will be coming up quite hot on the heels of book one, which is great. It's called The Caravan at the Edge of Doom, Foul Prophecy, uh, which title wasn't finalised quite in term time for the printing of book one, but it's is out there now. And yeah, it's pretty much done. And Olia Musa, as you say, her brilliant illustrations. 
that's what's coming next for foul prophecy we're at that stage of she'll be able to start drawing those up soon and that's which is the most fun exciting part for me yeah who knows why or how harley ends up having to do another uh, land of the dead focused adventure it's um why would that happen to someone twice <laughs> but uh, that's the joy isn't it of adventure series it, it does it does it does and uh I can see that we are quickly getting to the end of this interview, but I don't want to uh, disappear quite yet because I actually want to just touch upon one other thing that uh, I wanted to bring up, which was obviously this has been a labor of love for many years. So I was just interested on like how you felt. Now you have the physical book out in the world. How has it been for you to, to realize this, this long journey, this long quest of your own coming to an end? How has it felt for you? Um, it's funny because I think for me, one of the things that defines a story is that you have a beginning and an end. And I think that's what makes it a story as opposed to life, which never really does have beginnings and endings. You know, you, everything sort of smooths in one thing to another. But obviously, yeah, receiving a book is something close to an ending. But for me, the, the most um, the bits when it's felt most real, there were, there were a couple of moments recently in the last couple of months. Uh, the editor sent uh, a video from the printers of the book being spewed out of the printers. That was very exciting. And, and everyone who I showed that to thought that was particularly exciting. There's something about your book looking like, you know, being on a conveyor belt, like some biscuits or something that's particularly <laughs> exciting. Um, and then the other things, reading it to my own children was, was amazing because they were, you know, genuinely gripped and they're, they're a bit younger than the target audience. Mm. And, you know, kids can't really, um, can't really fake it very well if they're not enjoying something so that was reassuring and and other 10 year olds who've read it just seeing them genuinely into it and liking it that's that was a, an absolute revelation because it's so adult the whole process you know kids aren't actually involved really uh in in the making of children's books uh for for, for good reasons i think but obviously it's a sense of until a 10 year old's got hold of it and read it themselves it hasn't really been road tested you know it's like it's like a car that hasn't been on the motorway and uh, so that was that felt great yeah it is very exciting now it's incredibly exciting and what's more exciting is that we have been talking this book up and one of you lovely listeners is going to get a chance to get your own sticky mitts on a copy of this yes it's competition time if you want to be in a chance with winning a signed copy of the caravan at the edge of doom i can't say that normally i have to say doom uh you have to head over to our twitter at big kids book club all one long lovely word hit us up with a hashtag and this week we're going for hashtag doom comp just doom comp you don't have to say doom comp just doom comp um but we like to come up with fun ways of getting our audience engaged not just a simple retweet and hashtag no today's quiz question if you want to get a chance of getting this signed copy you have to tell us uh you have to come up with one of your own tasks or trials or a riddle of which to uh, to add to the hero's journey itself one of your own tasks and uh something that one of those guardian beasts can uh continue to look after for generations generations yes come up with a riddle or a task like uh we see in the book think 12 tasks of hercules get weird and wacky we want to hear what sort of strange task you'd add to the land of back of beyond and you could be in a chance of winning a signed copy of the caravan at the end of doom so jim you obviously i bet had a load of other unused tasks and trials you could have added to the book can you think of one now you'd you'd love to have added to the book as well oh crikey um 
Well, there are a number up there that are listed that she doesn't never quite makes it to. I, I think um, replacing a Hoover bag is one that certainly uh, strikes me as um, what what could go wrong there. Oh, that could that seems to me that could be very perilous and, and troublesome. Yeah, this is what this is what you're looking for. I think you know things that that might seem tedious, but you know have that ele element of of challenge and, and satisfaction when successfully completed. Putting the bins out, I enjoy that one always. It's very satisfying, isn't it? Putting the bins out. There's some rubbish there, and then it's gone. That's very satisfying. Oh, I love these things. Descaling the kettle. Oh yeah, yeah. I've got lots of favourites. Mm. I think uh, my one for me is you have to empty a boot of shopping in one go. You've got all the shopping bags on your fingers really tight trying to do it all in one go that's always a task i try at could i do it in two or three tasks two or three trips yes of course i could but now i'm going to grab all the bags and strain my way to the front door brilliant um, <laughs> that's that's a proper legendary hero approach to exactly. uh to empty your car boot I like <laughs> well there's just some of our weird and wonderful tasks that we're going to add hit us up with the hashtag doomcomp and tell us which you'd like to add to the story sounds good jim Sounds brilliant. Thanks very much, Marcus. Oh, Look forward um, to seeing them. Yeah, this has been brilliant as well, Jim. It's been so much fun chatting to you. Um, but let's not let you disappear quite yet. Let's uh, find out a way we can get hold of you. If there's a social media or a website that our lovely listeners can go to to find out more about you and your book. Probably Twitter is the best place to go. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, not very chatty on there yet, but, you know, we'll get that. So on Twitter at ajimbeckett. There you go. Fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Big thank you to Jim for joining us and you, the lovely listeners, for sticking around. We hope you've enjoyed it. But until next time, all I have to say for you is to take care, to stay safe, but most importantly, to keep on reading. <laughs>